Well, good morning, church. Again, it's great to gather with you online, no matter where you're tuning in from, be it here in Australia or perhaps in another country. My name is Rob, and I am one of the pastors here. Um, We're going to continue going through the Gospel of Matthew together. You know, it's interesting. um, In the Gospel of Matthew, there has been this mounting criticism sort of this growing hostility towards Jesus. I don't know if you remember last week, but Jesus was quite upset with these three towns. Do you recall that? And the reason that he was so upset was their indifference, their apathy. They didn't repent. They didn't mind seeing the miracles that Jesus was performing. They didn't, uh, they were happy to see the, uh, you know, people healed. But when it came to actually changing their life, to doing a complete 180 degree turn. Well, that's not something that they were very keen on doing and that's why Jesus brings this judgment upon these towns. We are gonna move today though from indifference to outright hostility. Really this passage is like a, a snowball rolling down a hill, building momentum until you get into verse 14, which Rob just read for us where the conclusion they come to is, we gotta get rid of this guy. We gotta have to kill this guy. In other words, we're starting to see drops from a storm that's finally gonna break at the crucifixion. We're getting a picture now, what's finally mounting all the way to the end of this book where they actually will kill Jesus Christ. So what we're gonna do today, the interesting thing though is, You would think if there's mounting criticism, and I don't know about in your own life, but even relationally with someone, if there is something, you can sort of feel the tension building. You would think this is the part where Jesus sort of backs off a bit. And yet, it's interesting, Jesus leans in all the more and clarifies exactly who he is. He says that he is greater than King David, that he is greater than, than the temple, and that he is greater than the Sabbath itself. Sky just mentioned sort of three points that can give you a roadmap or pegs that you want to hang your hat on. That's where we're headed. So if your cat is meowing right now in front of you, or a dog is running in front of you, or the kids are there, that gives you a roadmap of where we're headed. So in verses... One through four, Jesus is greater than David. In verses five through six, Jesus is greater than the temple. And in verses seven through 14, Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. That gives you your roadmap. That's where we're headed. And I pray that the Lord uses this time um, to convict, to shape us, to encourage um, as we look at his word together. So let's pray now that God would, would bless his word as it's taught. Father, we thank you again for um, everyone that's gathering. Lord, maybe that those are just sort of tuning in, as Sky said, via online. They, they might not have been willing to, to gather in here on a Sunday, but Lord, they're tuning in. So we thank you for that. Uh, Thank you, Lord, that because of this media now, 
um, were able to capitalize on this and send your word out to different nations and different people groups that are listening even now. So Lord, no matter where we are at physically or geographically, we pray, Lord, that uh, all of us would be impacted by your word this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Jesus in this story, Jesus is, is moving through these grain fields and his disciples in tow, like most guys, always want a snack, right? For whatever reason, we always, we always want a snack. And so what do they do? They go, oh, we're, we're walking through a grain field. It's like walking through the shops, as it were. Why not pick just the heads of this grain rub them together in our palms, and then we create this little snack for ourselves, like the ancient version of organic trail mix, right? And so as they're doing that, the Pharisees notice it, and they just freak out. Jesus, what are your disciples doing? What on earth is going on here? Now, you have to know this. The the Pharisees aren't upset because the disciples are eating this organic trail mix, as it were, you know, picking and actually eating off the side of the field. The book of Deuteronomy actually permitted um, people in this context, in a situation like this, where they are poor in need of some food, to where they could pick just the, not, not harvest a whole field, you're not stealing someone's, but you can pick just bits and pieces to hold yourself over as a snack or a meal. So they're not upset about that. What they are upset about is the fact that they're doing this. They're rubbing their hands together, creating these little snacks on the Sabbath. You see that in verse two? Notice in verse two. Look what they say. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. Here's verse two. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. I don't, when we read that, I don't expect, those of you tuning in and listening right now, I don't expect that to sort of create a shock for you, to sort of have you just be stunned in disbelief, like, oh, they're doing that on the Sabbath. Let's be real. Just this idea that someone is patrolling a grain field on a Sabbath day looking for someone who's breaking the Sabbath is so far removed from us culturally, right? Uh, And that people would be that rigid about what rules are given to the Sabbath, what things you can do and what things you can't do. So let me try to explain this. Let me try to give you, I guess, a bit of a context here, a bit of a window into this world that the disciples and Jesus are walking through, as it were. During this COVID-19 pandemic, one thing seems common, and that is the increase of streaming movies and TV shows. I have to admit that I too have been sucked into the vortex of a Netflix series. I haven't been binging it, but I have been drawn into, it's a World War II in color. And I I must say it's a really well it's a really well done film. It's, uh, it covers sort of major battles like the Battle of the Bulge, or the Battle of Midway. Um, because it covers other things in World War II, like most of us know, the horrible, horrific uh, realities of the Holocaust. 
And, and one thing that they kept repeating on the episode that covered the Holocaust was never again, right? We can never allow this monstrosity against humanity to happen again. You know, in the Old Testament, they had a phrase kind of like that in a way. Never again can we allow our people to break the Sabbath. Now that might sound strange to us, especially when you correlate those two, but let me explain. If you read the book of Chronicles or the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord explains the reason his people, the nation of Israel, go into exile. One of the reasons is they habitually broke the Sabbath. And so years later, when the people come back from Babylon and Assyria and they get back into the land and they're rebuilding the temple, the rabbis said, never again, you know, fooled me once, basically, right? Never again can we allow this to happen. And so over the course of, say, four to five hundred years, they created this massive uh, rule book called the Talmud, which gave 39 categories, not just lists, but 39 massive categories of things that you were to do and mainly not to do on the Sabbath. That's the world, and, and by the way, one of them was harvesting. So when they see the disciples harvesting, Jesus' disciples, and Jesus is supposed to be a religious teacher, and they see the disciples working, well, never again, right? That's the world that we're in. So they look at the disciples and they think, you're breaking the fourth commandment. You're also, again, under article 27 of our massive book on rules, you're breaking your harvesting. You're not supposed to do that, disciples. And in verse 2, did you notice how they address Jesus and not the disciples? Hey, Jesus, what the heck are your disciples doing? They're, you know the law. They're doing things they shouldn't be doing. And Jesus says, I do know that. In fact, let me teach you boys a Bible study real quick. And what he does is he gives two different examples, one about King David and shows that he's greater. And then the next example is about the temple and shows that he's actually greater than the temple. So the first one he takes us to is King David. Now, King David is uh, the guy who killed Goliath. You can read about him in 1 Samuel. And King David, after he kills Goliath, when he comes back into the city, you know, people are chanting his name. But they're saying this though, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And at that point, Saul was the king of Israel. And Saul got a really jealous eye on King David, so much so that he wanted to kill him. And so David has to flee, even though that... Um, at this point, he's actually God's anointed king because Saul blew it. So David is the true anointed king. Saul wants to snuff him out. So David is on the run. And as he's fleeing, he's hungry. And so he stops where the tabernacle was at this point. And it says that he ate some of the bread of presence. Now you're like, what on earth is that? It was, 
that when the tabernacle was set up, that's the place where God met with his people um, in the first few books of the Bible, as it were. Um, they have this thing called showbread or bread of presence. And, you were, and the priests were only allowed to eat that. Now, David is hungry and says, I, I need food, so do the guys with me. Can you give me some of this bread? That's the illustration that Jesus uses. Look again in verse three. He says, and here's what I want to get at. Why does he use, think about this, of all the stories in the Bible, of all of the law that's in the Bible, why use this one? So, look again. Verse three. He said to them, have you not read? It's a bit of, that's a bit sarcastic, isn't it? Hey guys, don't you know your Bibles? Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God, again, that's that tabernacle, and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So, they would, of course, would have known this story by the back of their hands. They know David. Da- David's their, he's a hero in a lot of ways. But the example seems, stop and think about it, the example seems kind of besides the point. Do you know what I mean by that? They're saying, whoa, 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 Jesus. Hey, pal, you're, you're breaking the Sabbath. You and your disciples. To which Jesus launches into, um, have you heard about King David and um, how he, yeah, there's this time where he was, you know, running from King Saul and he entered into the house of God. It's like, wait, how is that relevant to you breaking the Sabbath? It, do you notice, uh, and it's in 1 Samuel 21, the Sabbath isn't even directly mentioned there. So how is this how is that relevant? How does this connect? And really, if you think about it, in the case with King David, technically he wasn't breaking the Sabbath either. Sure, he was violating the regulation that says only the priests could eat this bread, but he wasn't directly doing something against the Sabbath, was he? So how, is the th- how are these things connected? It seems rather beside the point. Why not quote something, say, out of Leviticus or Numbers that talks directly about the Sabbath? Because Jesus could have done that. He know, Jesus knows his Bible, and he could have said, well, you know, it says in Leviticus, bang. But he, he takes you to this story about King David. Well, to be fair, he does quote Leviticus, and he does quote Numbers in the next verse. But why here? Why David? I'll give you a few options. Number one, some people say that Jesus was simply reminding the Pharisees that a higher good, namely their hunger pains of his disciples, is more important than obeying the law. Because with both David and Jesus, they broke the command given the human need. Now, (laughs) that's really... Yeah, that's not a good one. Um, I'll give you another option. Um, a little less dreadful. Another people say, why does he 
do this and why does he bring up King David? It's because the arrival of the kingdom permitted the suspension of the law. The arrival of the kingdom, and that's what Jesus and his kingdom, permitted the suspension of the law. For example, if Israel was at war, it would be pretty difficult for them to keep the Sabbath. So in the same way, God's kingdom, as it ushers in, permits this exceptional behavior to break Sabbath. But that contradicts what Jesus has already said in the Gospel of Matthew, particularly chapter 5, verse 17 to 20, where he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Seems sort of hard to believe that in the same breath after Jesus just said that, he can turn around and, and basically violate or suspend the law. So here's the last one. Here's a third option. And this seems probably the most convincing. Jesus is simply attacking the tradition invented by the Pharisees. Not the Old Testament law. At the time, there were more man-made rules about the Sabbath than there were Bible verses. Uh, one writer at the time said this, and he explained it this way. The rules about the Sabbath are as mountains hanging by a hair. For the teaching of scripture is scanty and the rules many. So you see there, Jesus is critiquing these man-made rules. He's, he's brushing them off, really. But if that's the case, maybe you're convinced by the third one. If that's the case, why didn't he then go tit for tat with them and explain that their ideas, remember the 39 categories? Why didn't he say, hey, guys, you know, look, the, this is not scripture. Why did he do that? Why, why did he not then just say, you should know that this is wrong because of X, Y, and Z? Because Jesus actually takes an opportunity, and I don't want you to miss this. Jesus takes an opportunity to showcase his authority and identity as Messiah. When King David ate the special bread, he did so on the basis of his authority. He was God's anointed king, right? No doubt the priest knew that. Uh, hence the reason he was willing to accommodate David or even override the priestly ceremonial instructions were at the time. By pointing to this event, hopefully we're starting to pick up what Jesus is throwing down here. Jesus places his own authority alongside King David. And listen, if exceptions were made for King David and his men to eat in the tabernacle, surely they would be made for the Messiah who had come in the line of David, who was himself greater than David. And you know what's fascinating? Not only has Matthew highlighted, do you remember the very first verse in the Gospel of Matthew? Jesus is the son of David. At the time when David is fleeing for his life, he's being rejected, right? He is being rejected by the leadership in Israel, even though he's the true anointed king. In a similar way, Jesus Christ, who's the true son of David, is experiencing rejection from 
the leaders at the time. I, I find that fascinating. He is the true, greater son of David. Now, I want you to notice in verse 5, because he moves on from David, a man after God's own heart, showing how David was innocent, and he moves from history back to Old Testament law with this same phrase again. Don't you know your Bible? Have, have you not read? And of course, they, of course they've read. They know their Bibles inside and out. They know passages about the priests and what they do on the day of Sabbath, like in Numbers 28. So look here, verse five. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? You see that there? Um, they were all aware of passages like Numbers 28, where the priests had to offer not only the daily sacrifices. So if you were a priest, you'd offer six days a week, you'd offer sacrifices. But on the Sabbath, you were to double that amount. You can just imagine how much preparation and work had to go in um, for the priest to offer sacrifices for an entire nation on this day. Seems like that is a load of work, is it not? Jesus says they're, even though they're doing this on the Sabbath, they're actually not breaking the Sabbath. They're not working. They're guiltless. I mean, the institution itself required that they fulfill this duty. Does that make sense? It's not like God is going to set something up and say, ha ha, I got you. Um, fooled you now. The institution itself required that they do this. So are they breaking? That's what Jesus is pointing to. Now that gets them off the hook right? But what about Jesus? What about Jesus and his disciples? I mean, how does it justify their actions? Are we to think that the disciples' behavior is exactly the same as the service of the priests in the temple? Correct me if I'm wrong, but the plucking of grain for hunger isn't a religious ceremony, is it? If the priests were serving God in the temple by offering sacrifices, were the disciples serving God by stuffing their faces and having a snack? How is the analogy relevant? Now, before you think I'm having a go at Jesus, right? Look at verse six, because this is, this is where the punchline comes. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. That is, must have exploded in their minds. Everybody knew that, like, fine, the law permitted at least one exception for work on the Sabbath. We knew that. The priests, they would have known that as well. They would have known Numbers 28. Again, Jesus already alluded to that. But, here's the deal. If there is something which is greater than the temple, wink, wink, me, who stands right here in front of you, Logically, it follows that it too takes precedence over observing the Sabbath. Does that make sense? If the priests who serve in the temple on the Sabbath are innocent of wrongdoing, how much more innocent are the disciples who were serving Jesus, the one greater than the temple? As the temple's authority shielded the priests from guilt... So Jesus' authority as Messiah shielded his disciples from guilt because he is greater than the temple itself. 
Again, you have to understand what a real shocker that would have been. I mean, considering how highly regarded the temple was in the days of Jesus, uh, this was an outrageous statement. Yet the temple, again, this, this was everything. This was the presence of God for them. Even at the time, by the way, they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. But nonetheless, it demonstrated God's presence. The temple did. And what's Jesus saying? Jesus is claiming that he is much, a much greater demonstration of the presence of God because he is God made flesh. Just as the temple represented the dwelling place of God, so Jesus was present as God's dwelling place in an even greater way. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Something greater than the temple is here. Now, this seems to just kind of, again, just put yourself in there, shoes. To say that you're greater than David, fine. The temple, okay, wow. The Sabbath, now you've crossed the line. This is the straw that breaks their backs, as it were. Look at verse 7. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man, remember that phrase? We've been seeing that a lot in Matthew. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see how Jesus asserts his divine authority here? He said that he had the authority to know if disciples broke the Sabbath or not because he is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was his. He wrote it. He would interpret it. And you know something else? He would fulfill it. He did fulfill it. In Hebrews 4, it says that because of Christ, we have entered into rest. We've entered into rest. What does that mean? The Sabbath was a figure, a picture, a shadow of rest. This is how it's going to be. There, there's going to be a day of rest, right? But is it any wonder that in the previous, remember last week, how does Jesus, how do we leave off last week? Come to me, all who are weary and heaven laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Is it any, any wonder now that now it's, we're talking Sabbath rest and Jesus says the Son of Man is actually Lord of the Sabbath. And now he's going to give a real life example that he has the authority that uh, rather than just sort of tell you that, we're going to see a real life example now in verse 7. Verse 9, sorry. He's going to illustrate this. Verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, this is amazing, by the way. This shows you their hearts. They're using this guy as bait, really. Rather than like pray for him or try to care for him, they're just using him as bait. Look, and a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, which one of you, and this look, I love this little parable he gives, which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. And how do the Pharisees respond? 
We're going to kill this bloke. We got to get rid of this guy. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It, it, it's, it's astonishing, really. Why? Well, because he infringed upon the religion of their choice. We can often domesticate God. We can often create God in our own image. And particularly Protestant even, Protestants are, are, are uh, notorious for this. Well, I think God is like this. Well, I think God is like that. And when that is infringed upon by the truth of God's word, people bow their back. People get upset. Well, I wouldn't believe in a God that X, Y, Z. I wonder, friend, if you've got some systems of man-centered theology that need to be corrected. Things that you've held on to because subjectively it seems right in your own gut. But the word of God confronts that. I wonder, friend, if, if there's an area of your life now where you feel you know deep down you shouldn't be doing that's a particular sin, but you've invented this whole system, kind of like the Pharisees in a way. And when the word of God shines on that dark area of your life, how are you responding? Are you getting your nose out of joint? Are you quick to throw a couple proof text out of context verses at someone who's trying to hold you accountable. I'm always amazed when as Christians we try to hold each other accountable and people are so quick to say, well, let us him without the first sin cast the first what? Stone, right? And I often find the person that is is saying that has sort of, they're not only trying to use that as a smokescreen, but they've created a whole system, a whole system of religion of which they can have their cake and eat it too, of which they can continue to live a life of sin, continue not to submit to the scriptures because they know a couple Bible verses that they can sort of bash you over the head with. Friend, if that's you, repent of that. Turn away from that. That's just Pharisaic garbage. Jesus confronts all areas of our life. So they said, we want to kill this guy. Now, as we close, I want us to look at just this. It's an incredible passage. I encourage you to read it, maybe even as we close afterwards. Go to the book of Isaiah and and have a read of this text. But I want to see, look here. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. You see this kindness, this servant of God that Jesus embodies these things. Now, for those of you that have been listening to this today, maybe a lot of this is sound like, okay, I've heard tabernacle, bread of presence, King David, Sabbath stuff, Pharisees. Look, A lot of these things I have no idea about. 
every single one of us is made in the image of God. And every single one of us is going to worship something because of that. And Freddie, you might be trying to make sense of this world, particularly now with this pandemic. And as you're trying to make sense of the world, you've created, as it were, something that you are devoted to. Is it the God of Scripture? Is this something that, you, that can actually save you from your sins? Or is this just something that soothes you a bit? Maybe it's a TV show. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's drinking more grog. What, what, are, you, what are you being soothed from? You're created in the image of God. You've actually, you're worshiping something, friend. So for those of you that aren't Christians, I just want to encourage you. Turn to Christ. Take his yoke upon you. He will find rest for your souls. You will never, I know all of us, in, particularly in the West, we usually think we're pretty good people. The Bible says, though, that no one is good. No, not one. No one is righteous. Friend, you'll never be good enough to get to heaven. Ever. But that's why Jesus lived the life that we should have lived and died the death in our place. If we turn to him and throw our weight upon him for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life, we can be forgiven. We can be saved. We can be right with God. Now, for those of you that are, call yourself a Christian, I just want to challenge you, what system of either thought or habit is, in a sense, maybe you wouldn't want to say it out loud, but what system have you created that's trumping, I can't even say that anymore, that's, that's overriding the Bible in your life? Yeah, I know that's, I probably shouldn't do this, but this is, you know, look, this is just who I am. Or, you know, I grew up in such a terrible home, I just act this way now. No, look, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. It doesn't mean, it's not writing off maybe some of the, the hurts that have happened in your life, but right now you are a child of God. Right now. So live in that, friend. Walk in that. I'm excited for Good Friday this week as we're going to be talking about Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? That the foolishness of, we're going to be talking, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, the world would look at this idea of the cross as foolishness, but it's actually wisdom of God. And we're going to be talking about that for Good Friday. And I encourage you to tune in with us. Maybe get a hot cross bun. Steve, if you're listening, Steve, Steve uh, has offered, Steve Beck has said he'll help deliver hot cross buns to everybody this week. <laughs> so I'm, I'm joking, Steve. Um, you can deliver them to my house, though. I won't stop you, man. We're throwing that out there. Anyway, no one's laughing because I'm in an empty room. A, a computer staring me in the face right now. So, but I know you're tuning in with me. Anyway, uh, let's, let's pray and then we'll, we'll close up our time. Lord, we thank you again for... Um, your kindness to us. Lord, we, we ask for forgiveness for areas that we've replaced true religion with false religion. Ways that we should have honored you, ways that we should have been submitting to your word with um, our own subjective ideas of what we think is good and right and uh, forgive us. Lord, we pray for those that are tuning in now, that are listening along, 
We pray that, Lord, that they would see just how empty and vain all of the little gods are in their life, ways that they've tried to bow down, as it were, to things that are never going to satisfy. And Lord, beyond that, help them to see their need to turn to you for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sky's going to come up here one last time. And uh, by the way, Sky has been in this.